Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. <laughs> That's always the truth. Me and Tuttle having a great conversation before this thing even gets going, but playoff season is upon us. We have got a ton of topics to hit. But we want to remind everybody that the gates are open and grab your seat because Bleacher Plums is open and we are settling in right next to you as you pile in next to us, whether you're on the treadmill, spin cycle, it sounds like you're doing the laundry, but on a spin bike maybe, uh, or you're in your car in the Houston traffic or LA traffic, we appreciate you downloading subscribing rating and reviewing people have done a really good job as far as the reviewing part you know every once in a while i'll glance through there as i'm sharing the link to our podcast and everybody does a very good job and is very honest about their opinions and i appreciate that and they do it in a kindly manner like we always enjoy so it always creates a good interaction between tuttle and i it's been an interesting week so to speak just because we had uh, you know, a couple of penalty flags on the delay of game on our podcast getting out there. So we worked through some of the kinks on that. And we appreciate you hanging with us, even though the audio may not have been absolutely perfect like it has been in the past. But we wanted to get that podcast out. And unfortunately, you know, when we do things after dark, things get a little sketchy, as you could tell. But we had a good time and it been a very good response as far as downloads um, on that podcast. So we appreciate that. This one will be a little bit more normal and it will talk about the Astros playoff situation. The Dodgers and Nats have an interesting series. We got what'll Tuttle say. We got to update our don't bet on it. And of course, you're going to want to stick around for Blum and Blummer because it's going to attack an issue that a lot of you have been tweeting at me about. And there's actually been an article written about it in the Houston Chronicle. So I want to update that and talk about that a little bit and give you some of the opinions of myself, even though it's you know, it, it's basically an opinion of my peers, but I want you to understand where they're coming from also. Hopefully that gives you some insight. It has been a good week. I know that a lot of you who follow me on Twitter at Blummer27 noticed that I retweeted a segment that was on Channel 2, I believe, KPRC. A, a young reporter, Vanessa, asked me if she could do a story on my girls playing volleyball out here in the Katy area, and it went extremely well. The girls were extremely excited about it. And I thought it went pretty well. So that was a lot of fun. You can check it out on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and uh, search Blum balances it all, and you can see that video, it's about two and a half minutes. It's a lot of fun. So it gives you a little behind the scenes look at what is going on in my life when I am not broadcasting. But you know what? Now that we're all getting our seats and getting settled in, it's, uh, it's enough about me. It's a little bit about Tuttle too. So what's going on out in your world, Tuttle, out there on the left coast, man? Uh, not a whole lot. Been watching a little baseball, and uh, now I know how your uh, your girls feel. <laughs> you know, just uh, riding in the shadow or the the sidecar of the Jeff Blum train. It's uh, it's kind of cool, and it's really nice for your girls to uh, probably get a little notoriety because uh, their dad's such a nice guy. Um, and I'm glad that it was fun and done in the right uh, the right context and the right pace. But uh, everything's going great. I. Uh, I think uh, Astros fans might maybe a little nervous. We saw the Yankees sweep the Twins, and they might be just a little edgy. But uh, I always believe in the, as we talked about last podcast, the uh, kind of the the norm coming to fruition, meaning the Astros are the best team and they have the best staff and the best everything. But uh, I know there was some uneasiness in the Astros fans out there. Uh, but uh, you know, 
just no you will and you're right in talking about you know there is equal opportunity and i think the rays kind of found their opportunity with zach granke we'll dig into that later and speaking of opportunities a lot of people have gone to our website bleacherblums.com and found that mailbag button and i believe tuttle's got a couple of those questions from our mailbag to get us started here in the bleachers what do you got big t yeah so blummer we've got a couple of mailbag questions the first one is from dan s and uh he basically his was more of a statement than a question but he writes that he's not a fan of osuna as the closer for the astros in the playoffs and so he at his this one's for you man well then he said who should take over so i mean he's assuming that we're going to agree that osuna should not be the closer or i guess in hind in 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 reality that aj hinch will agree with him so he wants us to put that out there i uh uh, yeah, I mean, he's not a fan of Osuna closing. I guess it makes him nervous. He wants to know who should take over. I think based on the tweets I saw and uh, the way it went the other night, right? I mean, Will Harris could be a candidate. We talked about him not having lights out stuff. But, I mean, the bottom line is in the postseason, we saw Araldus Chapman get six outs last night. We saw Osuna come in to get out of a crucial situation right in the eighth inning. And then Will Harris followed him up just because I think A.J. Hinch felt like the lead was probably safe, but that you know, he, he didn't know if Osuna could handle maybe a four-out save or a five-out save, but he used Osuna when the bases were loaded or, you know, when it was, a I guess, a tight situation. So I think that still kind of leads me to believe that Osuna's AJ's closer. So I don't know, I'm sure you have some insights and thoughts on that. Yeah, I think he is the closer. I believe he, he led the American League in saves. And I know that everything changes when you should get into that playoff situation because we're starting to see, you know, Kershaw was in the bullpen yesterday for the Dodgers in the potential maybe save situation. Uh, we've seen Patrick Corbin come out of the bullpen. So that's kind of been an interesting theme for me to watch because A.J. Hinch, I believe, is one of those guys who really kind of started that trend of moving some of the back-end starters into the bullpen and allowing them to close out some games. But I do believe that A.J. Hinch is going to stick with Osuna. And to Tuttle's point about using Osuna in that game at home, I believe it was game two where he got in a little bit of trouble, a couple of walks, a base hit. All of a sudden, there's two runners on, and he decided to go with Will Harris. And I think that's what you're going to see happen is Maybe that bullpen by committee. If you don't see Will Harris lead into a Roberto Osuna, you can expect Will Harris to back up a Roberto Osuna. Or if you see a, a Ryan Presley not pitch before Osuna or Harris, expect those guys to back each other up. I don't think it's going to be a situation where AJ, sa- AJ says, I haven't used Presley, I haven't used Harris, I'm going to just go with Osuna and we're going to see what happens. I think he's going to have those guys prepared to back each other up because I agree with Tuttle's point about him Going for the four-out save or the six-out save, that's tough because a lot of closers these days, not only, you know, the fatigue sets in. I think we've talked about it a lot between 20 and 30 pitches for a reliever. So if he's not efficient in going out there and getting those outs, it may create a little bit of fatigue and then mistakes are made. But it's also that down-up where the pitcher goes out, you know, a, a closer isn't accustomed to going out there, pitching a couple of outs, sitting down, and then getting back up. Usually they go out, finish an inning, go home. And that's where I think sometimes the issue kind of sets in a little bit because you sit down, rest, relax. Those guys aren't comfortable with it. You get an extended inning and you've got to go back out there and ramp things back up. So as soon as you're closer, that's how it's going to be unless otherwise told. I think he's going to be fine, but you are going to have those guys backing each other up uh, going down the stretch. That's what's to be expected. But one thing I can guarantee you about the back end of the Astros bullpen 
is that Will Smith will not come out of that bullpen no matter how much Girardi wants it to happen. That's true. I mean, I would I would agree with you. Uh, Joe Girardi, not not my favorite commentator in the postseason, but uh, you know we, we're going to get to that. Yeah, stay stay tuned because I'll, I'll I'll talk about that a little bit. But I can't believe he called one of the best bullpen guys in the league, Will Smith, <laughs> consistently. Yeah. You got to got to got to do your homework. Got to do your research. So, um, you know, I keep hearing it with Jay and John Gruden consistently, and David and Derek Carr. That that's the one on Sports Talk. <laughs> yeah. People call Derek Carr David Carr all the time. I heard Michael Vick do it a few times yesterday. Made me. I've done that one on this yeah, podcast. Well, I guess we all can, but at least we have you know somebody to correct us. If you have a producer in your ear, your ear and he says Will Smith seven times, then that means he's not locked in, baby. All right, question number two. Uh, this is from Lamar S. And I anyway, I'm going to let you answer this one first, but I, I have some thoughts on this too. So Astros seem to take a lot of strikes down the middle. <laughs> They're getting into way too many 0-2 counts. What are your thoughts about that? It drives me absolutely nuts. I understand that there's a full fee behind it. Maybe it's pitch tendency. Maybe it's trying, you know, you don't want to give away the at bat too soon. I was always a guy, if I was going to go up there and swing at that first pitch, I was looking for a pitch and I was looking for a location. So there's two things that I wanted to look for. If it wasn't the right pitch or in the right location, I let it go and I'd go ahead and fight through the at bat. But I think that other teams are catching on to the fact that the Astros do take a lot of first pitches. And that's why you're all you're seeing a lot of fastballs down the middle because they realize that, well, if he's not going to swing at it, I'm just going to pump one in there and get ahead in the count, take control of the at bat and pitch the way I want to. That being said, the Astros during the regular season were the best hitting team with two strikes. So they do a very good job of, of two things. They do a good job of laying off pitches on the edges. So even though they fall behind in their at-bats offensively, they're able to work back into some of these counts by taking some pitches and getting to 2-2, two, 3-2. Two, two. And it, that, that reason you take those pitches early is because you're trying to force the, the starting pitcher out early. You're trying to ramp that pitch count up. You're trying to get into the bullpen and knock that guy out. But the Astros, when they get to two strikes, they really don't panic. I know that they've struck out, uh, I think they struck out nine times yesterday, which was a little concerning to me, but you add into the fact that Charlie Morton's got a damn good curveball and a very good fastball. He's he turned into a strikeout guy. That's why those numbers may have been pumped up. Plus, they hate they hate hitting in Tampa Bay. I'm not sure what it is or how to explain it, but if you're not playing there on a daily basis, it's not one of the more fun atmospheres to go in and play, or visually, it's tough on the eyes with that dome. You're getting you get cloud cover, you get sunlight, you get a funky roof. It's, it, you know, the dimensions are odd with the rings hanging above you. You need to combat those things, but they hit over 200, which is high for a two strike, you know, a batting average in the league. And they were the best at it. So I don't think that they really panic or worry about taking those pitches too early in the count, but I am with Lamar. Some of these fastballs that I see these guys taking early in the count, man, if I could have gotten a couple more of those pitches, man, I might have gotten a couple more hits. But there are some good pitches they are letting go by. And I, I, that's the only thing that frustrates me because you know as well as I do, Tuttle, having been a pitcher, how many good pitches do you get to hit per at-bat? One, maybe two. Well, maybe when I was pitching, you got a few more than one or two. But uh, <laughs> Come on. it's been a long time. Um, so, you know, you, that's refreshing to hear you say that, honestly, because I wasn't sure – I actually thought you might say, you know, it's their philosophy. I always go, I keep talking about the longevity of the season, their season strategy. They struck out the fewest amount as a, as a, as a team one through nine. 
and they had a few guys come in and out, right? Correa was hurt, Altuve was hurt. You had these injuries, and they struck out the fewest amount of times. So the philosophy obviously works. But again, refreshing to hear you say that. I would love hitters, especially good hitters like Bregman and Brantley, to stand there and just watch, you know, ninety-five right down the middle. <laughs> That's great, thank you. And now, you know, now I have to go to work, but then they have to go to work. And as you said, maybe it's comfortable for them, and you don't want to up uh, upset the apple cart at this point because this is the season strategy strategy that they had. But yeah, you would think um, similar to making halftime adjustments in in the locker room, if if you know three games, four games into the series that you're going to see 93 right down the middle every time you come up, uh, you know, it might be time to, you know, to, to uh, what do they call that? Like sneak up on a guy, right? Snipe a guy, jump him. Ambush. Ambush. Why can't I think of the words? I, get, get on, I can think of words all the time. I'm on a podcast, can't think of a word. Yeah. Why not ambush a guy, right? <laughs> Take advantage of the situation sometimes. I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, it, it is a game of adjustments and – I always I, I would do the same thing if you faced a team consistently and they kept giving you off speed or they kept giving you a tough pitch or you knew a pitcher had a tough time locating early in the count. Yeah, you might lean back and say, OK, forget this. But if you've, you're facing a team that is very good at pitching like the Tampa Bay Rays are, why why give them that extra strike? Because you're already putting yourself behind. And if you can go out there and ambush that first fastball. But the biggest thing when you go out there and ambush, you know what rule number one is? Don't miss it that's the biggest key yeah and i think i see some notes here for our podcast and uh, george springer's on that list and i realize when you're leading off the game and you like to swing at the first pitch there's alfred barking in the background i realize Love uh, alfred yeah go get him alfred um i realize that that's your point right you can't miss it because then you're you know now you're in a hole and now you're getting a bunch of uh you know you're the opposite of ambush right you're putting yourself in a hole or you're down you yeah. know one out two outs in an inning so um I wanted to say that I saw a lot of our t-shirts on Twitter around the stadium, Minute Maid Park. That was awesome. And those t-shirts, as we know, are made by Crush City Tees, T-E-E-S.com. Easy for me to say. It's a place to go for custom H-Town baseball t-shirts, direct-to-garment machine. Uh, they can make your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. They also provide embroidery, screen printing, they're designed and printed in Houston, Crush City Tees, T-E-E-S dot com. And uh, keep buying those Bleacher Blums t-shirts. It's cool to see them around. I actually saw uh, somebody with a Crush City tee, and they put a Bleacher Blum sticker on it also. So we're getting some pub out there, but, uh, you know, maybe that'll be your good luck charm for the uh, for the playoffs here. Who knows? Ooh, I like that idea, especially the orange ones floating around because it's been an orange out at Minute Maid Park. And I did see the same one with that sticker. We've been trying to include some little extra uh, stuff into those packages when they get sent out. So look for the stickers, maybe some coasters. You never know. We keep talking about the beer koozies. But you can also go to bleacherblums.com and check out the shirt, the store there. We've got shirts on there. We are going to be adding stuff, hopefully – if not this month, going into November over the off season, so going into Christmas time, maybe a couple more things to mix in there to get your significant others or family members, friends, sneak up on them and get them a surprise. You can get to Real David Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter if you want to check him out. Also on BleacherBlums.com, you can check out more about David Tuttle. So that being said, and plugging our website and getting great returns, we appreciate Dan S. and Lamar S. for reaching out to us. We hope you enjoy the podcast and realize that you have been recognized on there. 
But we are going to move forward into the Astros playoff type situation that we've got going on. It's interesting to note right now as this podcast is being recorded that the Astros time of game has changed to six o'clock central because the Yankees swept their series. The Yankees have moved on to the American League Championship Series. And I also appreciate the fact that the New York Yankees proved my point about the Minnesota Twins. That was a team you wanted to face. There's their pitching is okay. It's very hittable like we saw, but at the same time, I believe good pitching can suppress some good hitting, and that's what happened. When you rely so much on the home run, there's some inadequacies that kind of go along with it for the Minnesota Twins. They were unable to play small ball, move guys along, and create runs because I believe they lost that game. You know, They had opportunities down two to nothing, and eventually it eroded because they were swinging so hard, swinging so often, and their series is done. The Yankees move on. But the Astros are currently sitting at two and one after Zach Granke. I may start with Zach Granke on this one, Tuttle, just to get you ready. I know it's kind of backwards on the notes that I was making for the show, but he was really the kind of the key. He was the guy they picked up at the trade deadline. He was the guy that was going to be that number three starter. He's that guy that was included in the text from A.J. Hinch to Kevin Cash saying, hey, here's my first three starters. And in a three-game or best three out of five series like the Astros are playing right now, I think that the Astros and fans may have anticipated, oh, we won the first two with Cole and Verlander. Okay, here we go. Here, go get, go get, take your best shot at Zach Granke. And guess what? The Tampa Bay Rays stepped up. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit, or if you have the belief in days off and rest, because it's a, it's a really a big question in the in the postseason. Is there too much time off like the Yankees right now? They've won their series. I believe the first game of the ALCS is going to be Friday. Is that too much time for a team to have off? But bringing it back to Zach Granke, he had 11 days off. And he is a guy who has to be hyper accurate with his stuff because he doesn't have the Verlander Cole velocity to go out there and make a mistake at 96 to 100 miles an hour. He has to be pinpoint perfect. And we actually saw him be pinpoint perfect in that first inning. So I had hope early on. I'm like, man, if he is locating his fastball and his changeup like this, it's going to be a long night for the offense of the Rays, and it's going to be a great night for the Houston Astros defense to go out there and pick him up. Lo and behold, he comes out that second inning, changeup is up hits a guy, locations all over the place, and then boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, we see three home runs later. He's down 5 nothing and out of the game. Tuttle, talk to me a little bit about what you saw from Zach Granke and give me a little bit of an idea if you feel that a veteran like him maybe didn't do as well because of the layoff, the 11 days off. I, I think you kind of answered your own question in regards to the layoff in that the first inning was so so perfect. I mean, I think he had a good feel for the ball. Um, he located his pitches. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that, that that showed that he can, you know, come out after 11 days off and do it. The other thing is 11 days off. I mean, when I was playing, obviously you could say, oh, well, he hasn't pitched in five days, but really you threw every day. And as a starter, you threw a side or you maybe were in the bullpen for one night or you played long toss or, I mean, you never really are sitting down. I realize the mentality of, um, you know, we always talk about these high stress innings or high leverage innings. That's a different feel. But the way Granky, he's a professional. Uh, he knew he was going to start game three all along. So I'm sure he prepared appropriately. And the way he threw the first inning indicates to me that he was ready to go. I think we talked about this a little prior to the podcast. It had a little more to do with the fact of, you know, the game has changed. Baseball has changed probably since Granky got 
his you know two hundred million dollar deal. I mean, we've talked about it constantly on this podcast about the change in the baseballs, the seams being less uh, raised, and the ball being a little harder and you know more uh, more centered. And we've seen that you know obviously the number of home runs go up consistently, but I think having to throw after Verlander throwing ninety five, ninety six with his stuff, and then Cole throwing ninety nine, I think the raise raise hitters were kind of like this is awesome. You know, we're facing a $200 million former Cy Young Award winner who throws 92, 93. At least I can keep my front shoulder in, kind of lean over the plate and see see what I got here. And and I think that's where, you know, where your statement is absolutely correct, which is Granky had to be perfect. And hitting a guy and losing, you know, keeping your changeup up, even if he was walking some guys or getting guys to nibble, you know, it'd be nice to see them put four or five singles together. But, uh, and, you know, and that would show that they were comfortable, but still having to work for it. But, but I think that you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I, I, I don't think it was the 11 days off that he was rusty. I just think he showed that after that first inning, he needed to be perfect and he wasn't. And that, you know, the Rays took advantage of it. No, that's a good point. If they did go out there and get, you know, five hits in one inning, that would tell you that Granky's pitching well, but they were make they were they were taking what's given to him is the term you hear a lot. So that would have told you that Granky was making pitches, but the Rays did a better job of adjusting to the pitches and taking what was given instead of hitting mistakes out over the plate that led to three run home runs. You know, that's something that's uncharacteristic for a guy like Zach Granky. And I agree with Tuttle's idea as a hitter. If I've just gotten my doors blown off for two straight games against Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, and I see a guy like Zach Greinke, even though his street cred is off the charts, his resume is unbelievable, he's a potential Hall of Famer with the numbers he's putting up, guess what? I'm going, man, I only have to compete with 90 to 92? Bring it on. All of a sudden, I can breathe again. And I was kind of using the analogy of, if you know, for those of you who have been out in some crazy surf, you know, when a big set comes in and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with 10 foot waves and they're coming, you know, every three seconds, uh, like the movie Chasing Mavericks, if you've ever seen it, great flick, by the way, you know, you're getting crushed and you're overwhelmed. You're in the, di- you're, you're in the uh, laundry, you know, getting just pummeled. You come up for a breath and you say, okay, I, I've got a breath and you go, <gasps> and then all of a sudden here comes Garrett Cole and you're getting wiped out again and you're in that laundry machine getting tumbled back and forth and you come up and you're just getting repeatedly just stuffed and you feel like you're drowning and then all of a sudden there's a little bit of a lull. It's about a five second break between that next wave and then <laughs> Alfred's having a hell of a day. He sounds yeah, good. Yeah, Alfred's on the podcast, folks. But, you know, and then all of a sudden you get that five second delay in between the next next wave that's coming and it's only about four or five feet. And you're like, oh, I can manage that one. That's the one where I'm going to catch my breath and get back on my board and get after this thing and have a good time. And that's kind of how the Rays approached, I think, you know, a guy like Zach Granke, where you knew you didn't have to be protective of 98. Because if I'm trying to rush and protect 98, it makes every other pitch that much nastier. If I've got to protect 90, that's a little more comfortable and doable this day and age in the big leagues. Uh, do you think that he took? He, do you think there's any? Do you think there's any problem with Zach Granke knowing he's the third guy behind Colin Verlander? Does that have any effect on the mentality you think at all of him? You know, I, I don't think so. Only, I mean, we only can think about it the way we think about it, right? I, uh, I, I feel like if I, you know. 95% of the pitchers in baseball are going to be behind Verlander and Cole in the rotation. And I think he's been behind them since he got traded over essentially. And I think if you kind of look at the 
people talk about it in football more than baseball, uh, but the next man up mentality, it's kind of like it doesn't matter where you fall in the rotation. It's you you got to be that you got to be the guy on that day, you know, whether it be Wade Miley or, or Keedy or, you know, it's whoever's taking them out. It's it's your day. It's your day all day, as they say. Right. Like, you you know, you get special treatment in the sense that it's like, oh, yeah, he's a pain in the ass because he's pitching day or, yeah, he's going to show up late because he's pitching today or whatever it is. I mean, Granky was ready for the game, and I think the Rays, as you said, whether it was just a uh, a way for them to kind of exhale for a minute. I mean, I don't think they're pumped about facing Verlander today, but again, I, I mean, this is a scratch and claw game, and uh, the game of baseball that is. And I think the Rays probably feel like if they can get to Verlander, they've seen him; he's on short rest. If they can get this game to Game Five or this series to Game Five, you know, they're exactly where they want to be, and. We talk about this all the time in sports. I mean, nobody expects them to win the series. Nobody. So they have they have nothing to lose. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I think Granke, from a Granke perspective, he knew it was his day. He looked great in the first inning. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's not your day. You do this all season long, six months. Sometimes it's not your day. And uh, it's unfortunate for the Astros and the Astros fans. But that's the game of baseball. No, it truly is, and I agree with you in the sense I don't think it affects Granky at all. There's just kind of a random question that I've been thinking about, but when you do get the baseball, you're the ace that day, and you got to go out there and pitch like one. He did not, and give credit to the Tampa Bay Rays for going out there and getting mistakes because ultimately it it, it is the offense's job to go out there and get mistakes and hit the mistakes. Now, that leads me into the offense conversation because I believe that Bregman, Altuve, Yuli, Carlos Correa to a point have gone out there and put together some pretty good at bats. That's been the bulk of your hits have been from those four guys. And we keep talking about the depth of this Astros lineup, but there was an interesting number that kind of popped out to me in looking at the offense, the outfielders. If you include Tucker, Reddick, Brantley, and George Springer, they are combined two for 34, two for 34. And for those of you like me who are not math majors, that is an 0.59 batting average through three games for these guys. Also, 12 strikeouts, which I believe is a little bit high for these guys who are usually very good at putting the ball in play and forcing the defense to play defense. I, I am concerned. Michael Brantley is not this type of guy. He's got, two, he's got the two hits, by the way. He's the only guy that has the two hits in that lineup, but he's also struck out four times. George Springer is the igniter. He is, I've called him the human red bull. He's that guy you want to inject into your veins if you're that ball club because he is the guy at the top of the lineup that poses a threat every time he steps in, and especially when he's leading off a game. He is now 0 for 13. Is there any reason to panic? Because I am in the, I am in the camp of no panic. I think George is strong enough and a good enough talent that at literally any given moment with any pitch, he has the ability to completely change the, con the, the context of a game. He can overwhelm the game. He is that talented. But at the same time, when he's missing like he is right now in 0 for 13, as much as you can tell when he's there, you can definitely tell when he's not there because that energy level's gone a little bit. And, of course, the offense production has gone a little bit. But uh, talk us out of the panic on George Springer, if you want, or if not, tell us to panic about George Springer. What have you seen? Yeah, excellent. I, uh, I'm i like you. I mean, this is where we agree consistently on uh, the panic thing doesn't work for me. Now, 
you know, if in five days from now, the Astros are sitting at home going, what happened? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, we can definitely point, right? <laughs> yeah, then we can say, oh, yeah, look, they were, you know, two for 40 or two for 50, you know, after the next two games and uh, or three for 48 or something like that. And you say, well, we at least see where the uh, where the challenge was. Again, we have to give the Rays credit. Uh, this is an Astros heavy podcast. Their pitching staff is lights out. I mean, most times the strategy of the O2 we talked about on the uh, mailbag. Yeah, you want to get deep in the count and you want to wear the starter out. And then you want to get to the bullpen. I don't know if that's always the case with the devil, with the Rays bullpen. I mean, these guys are good. So I, I think, again, you stretch this out over the course of a year and 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 everything will work itself out. We're in a five-game series. The Rays have won one game against the formidable Astros, and now we're talking about you know Springer being 0 for 13 or whatever he is. You know what? One home run, one leadoff home run, one pitch that he hits out, as you said, then he can be the human Red Bull and everybody's pumped and it feels like you know everything's kind of back to normal. But you know if it doesn't happen, again, not time to panic. Let's lean on uh, Verlander. Let's lean on Cole. I mean, if this goes game five, you get a day rest and then Cole's on the mound. If you told me that, you know, you might not want to use him, but if you told me that you had a chance to have Garrett Cole pitch a deciding game to move on to the next series, regardless of what the series is or the opponent, I, I think anybody would take that. Absolutely. And that leads into the next conversation topic as far as the Astros. And we'll probably finish with, with this one is Justin Verlander on short rest. There's some interesting numbers behind this. And on the outside looking in, you can absolutely say, oh my gosh, the Astros are panicking. They're putting Justin Verlander out there. Or you can sit on my seat and say, oh, hell yeah, I need a win. I need a guy to go out there and clinch a division series. I'm going to put Justin Verlander out there on three days rest. I don't think it says panic. I, I think it says my guy is going to be better than your guy. And it's a matchup type thing too. Going into the game four of this ALDS, Justin Verlander is matching up against the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen. And yes, they are vaunted. Yes, they are good. But they may be breaking down a little bit because they have been used in this series quite frequently. So it's going to be up to Kevin Cash to see how he uses these guys. Granted, there is a day off tomorrow, so you may be able to shuffle some more guys in and out of that uh, bullpen to get out. But I think it's a great matchup. I think if you were in Vegas and you were betting on this game and you saw Justin Verlander against the kitchen sink, you're going to take Justin Verlander because if you go back three days ago, he pitched seven innings. He gave up one hit. He gave, he struck out eight, walked three. And at the same time, it, and I, I, I'm curious to see, see what Tuttle says about this because he watches the game through a, through a pitcher's eye where I watch it through a little more of a hitter's eye. But I'm trying to learn a little bit about obviously watching Cole and, Ver, and Verlander throughout the course of the season to get an idea of how these guys work and how they manage getting through these games. But he threw seven innings and only threw 100 pitches. I feel like 100 pitches for Justin Verlander is a bullpen session for him. And especially the way he went out and did it against the Rays in striking out eight, creating soft contact, only getting one hit. There were three walks, so there were some minimal leverage type situations. I don't feel like he exerted a playoff outing facing the Rays that first time. So I think he will be better rested coming into this game as opposed to if he went out and threw 120 pitches in six innings and had to work around seven or eight hits where he had runners in scoring position and he really had to uh, crank that slider in there to get the out or uh, pump that fastball at 100 miles an hour to get the swings and misses. I don't feel like there were too many of those opportunities 
Uh, how do you feel about Justin Verlander coming back after three days? And when Tuttle's done, I'm going to give you some numbers because uh, they're kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, the numbers, numbers, schmumbers, you know, all the stuff I continue to talk about, <laughs> and I'm joking, but I continue to talk about the the whole season and where we get to. Um, we've brought up the Golden State Warriors the year that they broke the uh, the record for most wins in the regular season and then ended up losing to the, uh, the Cavaliers in the uh, championship. Nobody cares about the regular season at this point and sides and pitch counts and like five days rest. I mean, we watched the Dodgers Nationals and Kershaw's in the bullpen already last night. Scherzer came in and threw a seventh or eighth inning the other night, 14 pitches, three punch outs. He was like, I mean, he would have punched a hole in the brick in a brick wall. You have Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin. Those guys will all be in the bullpen. Uh, Strasburg will start. They'll be in the bullpen. I mean, go in the clubhouse, in the Astros clubhouse, uh, and say, hey, Justin, you know, how's your arm feeling today? Because we're thinking of starting you on short days. He's like, yeah, I'm starting. Like, I mean, that's not a question A.J. Hinch has to ask. Verlander probably went in. Actually, they probably knew before the game yesterday. And said, Verlander, you're going to start the next game. So, you know, put your tennis shoes on and it doesn't matter how today turns out. I mean, this is probably all planned out. You want your best pitchers pitching in the postseason the most often. We saw it with Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. I mean, this is if you want to win the World Series, why would you? Why, I mean, you know, why would you put Urquidy out on the mound today? Although he's pitched really well. And I, I'm serious. I mean, look, I didn't make the big leagues. Urquidy could punch me. That's fine. I'm just saying. You want to win the World Series. The whole point is to, you know, is to put the hoist the trophy. There shouldn't even be a discussion about who should be on the mound today. Today, Verlander, day off, Cole the next day. And you can read the numbers about coming back on 100 pitches in seven innings. But there's no way that they shouldn't start Verlander. I don't even know if I want to read the numbers now because you literally, I, I don't know which notes I shared with you, but you literally, I broke down some extra notes because of that, you 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 nailed it for me. You, the, the risk reward, the reward is greater than the risk. There is there really a risk putting Justin Verlander out there? And Tuttle brought it up. This has been talked about. You're going into the playoffs. I guarantee you. I would almost put my hat, my brand new house on it. That AJ Hinch pulled Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, Granky, the pitching staff. He could have talked to the entire team for all I know, but I guarantee you there was at least a conversation before the playoffs started that probably started with the coaching staff and started with the front office and said, if we go to a game four and we're down two to one, you're damn right I'm bringing in Justin Verlander to finish off game four. I don't want these guys to get up and breathe. I want them to have a little, you know, they got their breath against Zach Greinke. They, they feel like they've got a pulse, but I'm going to bring in, you know, the, the surgeon of death and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to bring it. There is no question in my mind that before this playoff series even started, that AJ Hinch looked at Justin Verlander and said, if we get to a game four situation where we need the win, are you going to be ready? And I guarantee you, Justin Verlander said, hell yeah, I'm going to be ready. So just to clarify, I think Tuttle and I are both incredibly comfortable with the fact that Justin Verlander is going to be that game four starter. Some can call it desperation. I call it genius. And if you're going to go out there, Tuttle knows this too as a pitcher, and I know this as a hitter. If I, 
if I feel like the pitcher is behind in the count, what is he going to try and get back in the count with? You're going to try and get back with the best pitch you've got. And guess who the best pitch is for the Houston Astros right now? It is going to be Justin Verlander. And I know I promised some numbers for all of you stat geeks out there, which I do appreciate because I took the time and effort to look all of these numbers up. How about this? In the regular season, in what, 15 years for Justin Verlander? He's only pitched one game on three days rest. What a luxury of pitching in the modern era of five-man rotations to be able to have that time off. So in that one game that he did start after three days of rest during the regular season, he threw six innings, gave up three earned runs, still struck out nine. Now he's also done it one time in the postseason, pitching on three days rest. He went eight innings, six hits, four earned runs, and 11 strikeouts. So maybe on a different team, the Detroit Tigers, obviously, where he, they needed to extend him a little bit. But still, some pretty good numbers, and it also speaks to the fact that if he is able to go out there and give you six strong if you're the Astros, it can get to the bullpen guys that we hinted at earlier in Presley, Harris, Osuna, and close that thing out, for hopefully for the Astros. So those are all the numbers I've got. That's what we've got for the Houston Astros. As you're listening to this, either before the ball game, that is at 6 o'clock to it, during game itself that would be all right but we're going to head into everybody's favorite part of this podcast what'll tuttle say plumber everybody will love to hear your voice so they should listen to it during the game and the last thing I'll say, you, you know, you obviously played on some playoff teams and had some experience in the World Series. I played on three minor league championship teams, not nearly the same, but this is professional baseball. After a whole year of playing with the same group of guys, everybody knows who should be on the mound. And everybody knows, like in your heart of hearts, if somebody went around the locker room and said, you know, Urquidy or Verlander, Urquidy or Verlander, Urquidy or Verlander, I mean, it's going to be unanimous. Like you want the best chance to win the game. And even with the Dodgers and Kershaw, if, if Verlander goes out and gives up five runs in six innings today, maybe the Astros win 10, five and nobody cares. I mean, it's just, you want your horse on the mound. It doesn't matter. And the fact that the Astros have two horses, those are the guys that are going to be pitching the next two games. And, you know, I'm sorry to beat that to death, but I, I think that's important to know is that we're talking about this as former players. Everybody knows, you know, who's supposed to be on the mound, who's supposed to be hitting, you know, in crucial situations. And I think that that just, you know, that's just an easy decision for all of those guys. Yeah. And to Tuttle's point, if if I'm going to go out and lose, I'm going to lose with my best. I want to force the other team to beat my best. I want the race to go out there and say they beat Justin Verlander. And if on the other side, if I'm playing behind Justin Verlander, I'm going to ramp it up a little bit, and I'm going to be a little more excited about playing behind him. No offense to Urquidy. So let's say the the Astros do what the Dodgers did and say, ah, we're not worried about it. We'll just head into game five and have Justin Verlander on four days rest, pitch in our home ballpark. Dude, you're going to go back there and have Garrett Cole pitch in game five anyways. I mean, you talk about having an ace in the hole with an ace on the mound today. Why Why would you think about backing those two guys up? I don't, I don't, you know, so yeah, I'm with you. We've belabored that one enough. I think we both believe that Justin Verlander is going to go out there. Right. So what'll Tuttle say? The format's changing a little bit today. Don't have a ton on there. And we're spending a lot more time on, uh, or a lot more time on playoff baseball. My comment today, 
And I guess I should preface it by saying I'm a much more uh, action speak louder than words person, especially when it comes to professional uh, competitions and professional sports. But uh, Baker Mayfield made some headlines last night again um, at the captain's handshake before the coin toss. He would not shake hands with the other team's captains. Come on. What? What era are we living in here? I mean, this isn't college football where you can plant a flag in the middle of their field and then stomp all over them. I mean, this is professional sports. We're all supposed to be professionals. I've said it before on this podcast. Yes, I'm getting old. Yes, I sound like, you know, get off my lawn, kids. You know, back in my day, we didn't wear seatbelts. But I will say, like, just shake the other guy's hands. There's nothing better. that you, Blummer, you've hit on this before, too. Somebody asks you a question in the locker room that you don't want to answer, just Bill Belichick him. You know, you know what? You know, nope, that's not true. That's the way it is. Yep, nope, that's fine. It's my fault. Yes, no. Okay, thank you. Move on. I mean, what is Baker trying to do? Does he want to get them riled up? I mean, Joey Bosa happened to play, or is it Nick Bosa? Now I can't even get him straight. I think it's Nick. All right, so. One of the guys on the – I get those guys mixed up. The brothers, right? This is what we talk about, David and Derek Carr. Is it Derek Carr or David Carr? I don't know. Anyway, the boast of the place for the 49ers played at Ohio State when Baker Mayfield planted the flag. Guess what he did last night? He planted Baker Mayfield like a flag, like four or five times. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, typically – and you know this. In professional sports, guys don't need any extra motivation. It's the ultimate uh, test of competition. It's the ultimate test of your sport and uh, intestinal fortitude, and obviously you get paid a lot of money to do it. So you don't need the extra motivation. But dude, it's 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 uh, part of the ceremonies to go out and shake hands before the, the before the uh, before the contest and say that may the best man win, even if in your heart of hearts, you know, that you're going to take it to him and you know that you want to kill those guys. I mean, that's just the that's just been around forever. And And to kind of add to this point, one of my favorite things, and I really enjoy playoff sports. I don't watch the NBA till the playoffs. Typically hockey, I don't watch till the playoffs either. But everybody knows the end of a hockey series when there's like 10 fights and guys have fat lips and stitches. The best part of that hockey series is those guys skating down and shaking hands to me. Because guess what? It is a game, folks. Yes, we make our living doing it. It's a game. And we went at it. We went at it toe-to-toe, heart-to-heart, as hard as we could. And the best team won that day in that series baker mayfield has a lot of growing up to do i realize he's young you know and richard sherman tends to uh flap his gums a lot but i'm telling you just shake the guy's hand flip the coin and then go out and beat them on the field you know don't give anybody any any extra motivation i was just i don't know common courtesy my mom raised me my dad raised me when grandma walks in the room and you're sitting in a chair guess what you do you spring out of that chair and you offer the chair to grandma you know, when you meet somebody that's a stranger and you're 12 years old, you got to look them in the eye and you got to have a firm handshake. I mean, these are just things that we learn. When somebody says, would you like something? You say, no, thank you. Like these are just common courtesies, common manners. Why can't Baker Mayfield figure that out? I have no idea. But maybe what Rex Ryan said about him is true. I don't know. But he sure... I don't think the Niners needed extra motivation, but they sure took it to him. And it'll be interesting to see if he evolves or just goes like Johnny Manziel off into the night. Who knows? 
I love that you brought this up because I actually saw it this morning in reading some of the tweets and some of the articles about that game because it was a severely disappointing game if you're a Cleveland Browns fan after what happened last week. They played such a good game and you looked like it looked like Baker Mayfield was turning the corner, getting the offense and moving on. But guess what? He put himself before the team. And that's what you cannot do in the NFL. Not one player in the NFL. It's not like the NBA where, you know, LeBron James can go out there and manhandle a game or where James Harden can go out and score 60 points and take over a game. You have to go out and play as a team. But Baker Mayfield said, no, I'm going to go out there, flip the coin, and I'm, I'm going to flip the bird at everybody and show them, hey, man, I'm the bad guy here. That, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I'm with you in the sense that this isn't college football anymore. You're not playing on a field where there are weaknesses on the opposing team. Now, take Miami out of the situation. No offense. You know, the Dolphins aren't exactly one of the better teams. I'm sure Ohio State or Oklahoma might give them a good run. But you're in the NFL now. You have got highly paid professional elite athletes who are already game planning how to take you down. They know the Baker Mayfield story. And then you come out and you become Baker Mayfield all over again. Guess what that does? That just makes that target they already had on you that much bigger. So now the schemes and all the game planning are exaggerated. And now you've given that guy who's already got three gears, you've given him the fourth one because now all of a sudden his heart and his gut are into it and he wants to embarrass you. The last thing I want to do is go out there and give somebody a reason to embarrass me because when they do, it's going to be very embarrassing. But it's just for me, it takes the spotlight off the team. And that's probably the thing that discourages me the most is that Baker Mayfield continues to make it about Baker Mayfield. Guess who we haven't talked about since uh, joining the Browns? OBJ. We haven't talked about him. Why? Because the quarterback is an obnoxious punk who goes out there and doesn't shake hands. Even OBJ goes out there and shakes hands. Or OJB, whatever the heck his name is. You know, you go out there and you shake the guy's hand and then you compete like a warrior. And then after the game, you say, hey, man, great game and move on. But there's no way on that stage with those elite talents and understanding that college football is good. The NFL is it. These guys are making money. They're trying to earn paychecks and, you know, and, and keep their family paid for generations. So if you give me extra incentive to go out there and pile drive you and make money off you, I'm going to go out and do it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Be a gentleman, shake the hand, compete your brains out, shake the hand again and go home. I hope he learned his lesson. We shall see, like I said. I mean, that's all I got for what will Tuttle say, but I, I, I agree with you. I guess I, the reason I bring it up is that reason um, is, is that I do hope he learns his lesson. Again, we sound like grouchy old men, but I, I, I feel like you know he's got to be put in his place and maybe he'll figure it out and maybe he won't. And I will steal a term from uh, Colin Coward which is quarterbackial. He made it up. We like our presidents to be presidential. I'm not sure I want to go political now. But, uh, you know, Tom Brady and uh, Drew Brees, obviously they're kind of the pinnacle of, of what it means. But they get in early. They stay late. They keep their mouths shut. They, they're trying to figure out how to beat the other teams. I mean, Baker Mayfield should take a, 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 you know, a page or two from the, their notebook. Yeah, and it does sound old manish when we say being taught a lesson. Maybe taught a lesson isn't exactly what we should be saying. Maybe there should be another terminology. And I agree with, you know, maybe being a little more presentable in how you go out and do it. But I mean, I'm also not saying conform to what is going on, but just go out, shake the hand. Because if you know what, if he just shook that hand and lost, 
we wouldn't be talking about this right now. We'd be talking about how the Browns as a team faltered, but instead we're going Faker Mayfield, Faker Mayfield, Faker Mayfield. So he kind of brought this on himself, and that's where we kind of hope that he understands that it is more about the team as opposed to about him in, in the NFL idea of going out and winning football games. So that is good on Weddle Tuttle. It, I know that you probably wanted to bring a little bit more, but that was one very good topic for David Tuttle bringing it out there. And that's going to push us into the next segment, which is going to be don't bet on it because we had an interesting weekend. Tuttle's going to get to some of his picks, but I have sad news. It was a rough week for the Blum and Tuttle GM matchup. We lost by three points, maybe not even three points, maybe less than three points, but we took our first defeat of the season and a lot of we'll blame it on we'll blame it on Baker Mayfield because Chubb didn't show up. He was only a he was only a partial Chubb on this uh, this weekend as he didn't put up as many points. We just needed maybe ten more yards out of the man and we would have gotten the points to get over the top. But we lost a tight one, and I'm okay. We're reeling a little bit, and we have a couple of guys going into a bye week with our tight end and our flex position. But Tuttle talked me off the ledge out of, uh, you know, coming into the podcast because our flex position might be replaced by T.Y. Hilton, who's been on the shelf, but we're going to need a tight end. I know you've got a couple of ideas, but how are you feeling about taking our first loss after the five games into the season, Tuttle? Yeah, it stings a little bit, but we have to practice what we preach, right? If we're sticking to this formula of our, you know, unemotional kind of unbiased, like we got to go with what the statistics say, then, uh, you know, we put a lot of weight on Chubb's shoulders, and last week he could carry it because Brady faltered. This week, you know, Keenan Allen ooh, disappeared. The Chargers. Oh man, big one, yeah. And then Dallas's defense. I mean, give us a few points, Dallas. Don't get down thirty-one to three in the first half. I mean, <laughs> we yeah. So we can blame Chubb on uh, on Monday night, but he he could have got us over the hump. But I I don't I don't want to say that it was all his fault. And honestly, we backdoored a, a W a couple weeks ago. So being four and one in first place. The first time that we're uh, co-GMing a fantasy football team, I think, is a great place to be. Uh, we are. We should look for, like I said, the tight ends at the top of the list here. I think are the Rams tight end Everett, Gerald Everett's a possibility. Um, I don't know who we're going to drop there, but we should look at Gerald Everett, and then um, and maybe we could look at another receiver. I don't know if Michael Gallup's out there, Metcalf for Seattle, or uh, the guy on the Bengals, Auden Tate. So we got, you know. If somebody wants to get us at a mailbag in the next day or two, then we can decide who to pick up. But I think <laughs> I think the selections are there. And like I said, T.Y. Hilton, maybe Christian Kirk, he's out as well. Those guys were injured, but we can slide one of those guys into the flex for the bye week and uh, you know, just hope one of the tight ends can hold their own for one week. That's a good call. And that's uh, so that we'll have some work ahead of us. Yeah, if you mailbag us and let us know who we should take for tight end or have any suggestions, feel free to let us know. And I agree with you in the sense, putting everything on Chubb. I just like saying Chubb, partial Chubb, half Chubb, no Chubb. Um, did everybody understand what I just said, or said right there? I'll say it again if you want me to. Just kidding. But uh, Keenan Allen, yeah, all Keenan Allen had to do is maybe catch, you know, maybe ten a 10-yard pass and we'd be in a different situation too. So a couple of guys, it takes a team effort. we got to make sure that we don't throw uh, Chubb under the bus because my Cal alum, Keenan Allen, faltered a little bit. Maybe Phillip Rivers didn't get him that ball. But the big thing is – how those picks go for you, Tuttle? How how are you doing in the funny money? Nice, there I am, two out of three again, and uh, yeah. Really, and the one pick I like the most because I'm a really big Gardner uh, Minshew fan was the Jags plus three and a half, and they lost by let's see, thirty four twenty seven. They lost by seven, but man, I really like the way the Jags are playing now. If they had had uh, 
Jalen Ramsey on defense, we might be uh, we might be able to cover that spread as well. But Gardner Minshew is holding his own in the NFL, and uh, he, I think he's going to be a great quarterback in years to come. I did, I gave out Purdue at twenty-seven and a half points, but in the day that I gave it out to Friday, it moved to twenty-eight and a half, which I still took it, and they lost by twenty-eight. So Purdue covered if you got them at twenty-eight and a half, which is fine. So there we go. I won that one, and then the yep. Raiders plus five and a half now. I said on our podcast they were home, but of course they played in London. And my basketball, <laughs> my basketball buddies were like, "Yeah, you took the Raiders at home, but it's a home game in London." I said, "Oh, well, I'm going to stick with the Raiders." And everyone said that's the wrong side of that pick. Guess what? It was the right side. They won outright. So uh, we won Purdue plus twenty eight and a half, Raiders plus five and a half. That's two out of three. I was two out of three last week. Four out of six is sixty six point six percent, folks. And that so, uh, is winning. That's winning. That's right. And gambling, that's winning. So we're on the plus side with Tuttle. Anyways. It's continuing to do a good job. Stay tuned. Later in the week, we are going to try and crank out a podcast that will give you some more of those bets going into the weekend. But we're going to move forward here. It's been a good podcast covering the Astros, some of the Baker Mayfield issues. We gave Tuttle some props on how well he's doing and his don't bet on it, even though we should probably be betting on it. But don't bet on it. It's only funny money. We're having a good time with this, just talking some of the sports. But uh, we're going to go into Blum and Blummer right now. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's. Full of shit, man. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on a, a, a touchy issue for me personally. I know that Tuttle probably has his own opinions and can have his own opinions, but... I'm going to talk about some of my peers and the national broadcast. And I, I have a tough time doing this because I know these guys, I like these guys, and I try to understand how hard their job is. And that's all I'm probably going to try and do is give you an idea of how hard the situation might be for them trying to give a national broadcast. But, uh, you know, and I also wish, I want everybody to know that, yes, TK, Julie, and I wish we were doing the postseason because you grind it out for 150 to 162 games. You want to be a part of this. You want to offer your opinion because, yes, I do sit at home and I hear some of the numbers and I hear some of the comments and I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense because that did not happen during the course of the season. But that kind of goes to something I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But the first thing I want to hit on is the play-by-play -play guy. I believe it's Kenny Albert who's doing the Astros series on FS1. And it was kind of interesting to hear him for the first two games and then hear him on Sunday do the Texans game. So play-by-play -play guys are good. They do a great deal of studying, but their job is to give you the facts. Their, their job is to tell you that that pitch was a ball, that pitch was a strike, what pitch was it, where was the ball hit. They're giving you facts. They're not necessarily... And, and they drive the ship, so to speak, as far as what they've worked out, as far as the producer and some of the graphics and highlights that they're trying to hit. So the play-by-play -play guy for me is a, is a narrator, a fact giver, and a, and a driver of the ship. So I, I think that good play-by-play -play guys can do a good job at that. I don't have a problem with Kenny Albert, but sometimes in hearing some of the color commentary I hear stories about the Astros and I'm going, eh, you know, that's not exactly right or that's not exactly how it happened or why it happened. And it's got to be incredibly tough for guys like Joe Girardi, A.J. Pierzynski. And to Pierzynski's credit, 
he we know each other obviously having played together on on uh, the Chicago White Sox together so I have a good relationship with him and he will text me I will talk to him I went to game one and game two and I talked to AJ face to face he asked the right questions he he engaged me in conversation about guys he gets in the clubhouse and talks to some of these guys so I appreciate the fact that AJ does that Joe Girardi didn't ask me a thing I was in the booth didn't engage nothing and not that I have a relationship with Joe Girardi or went out of my way to go say hi to him. So, you know, just giving you what has actually been laid out. But I can't imagine going and watching from afar from the MLB Network studios, you know, 355 games all over the country all day long, every day. And then all of a sudden I'm sent to a series where I've got to call two teams and, and know as much as I can. That's got to be extremely hard. It's got to be extremely hard to do your do your homework. You're not going to have the best stories. You're not going to have the intimate knowledge that maybe I do or Julia or Todd even in that sense. You're not going to get the great stories throughout the course of the season. So that's where I think that the Tampa Bay fans probably miss out on a lot because it's both ways. It's both for the Astros and the Rays. I imagine on their side, they're probably going, Mash, man, I wish I had Dwayne Stats and Brian Anderson because those guys tell the best stories. They're energized. And that's one of the things that's missing in a national broadcast, too, is that energy level. They've got to be monotone. They've got to be straight-laced. They've got to be objective. So everything's just, you know, as a matter of fact. But, uh, you know, calling a guy Will Smith, one of the things that I try to do personally for me, and I blow this up all the time because there's some tough names out there. You know, the Urquidies the, the or the, there was a guy on the Seattle Mariners, Tui, Tui Valala. I couldn't get off Tui Valala. You know, and, and so it, I took some work, but I went out of my way and understood. I asked other broadcasters, or if I need to, I'll ask the player, how do you pronounce your name? Getting the name right is everything. But the fact that he said Will Smith six or seven times blew my mind just in a production sense, because you hinted at it earlier in the podcast where there's a guy, there's guys in the truck, they have headphones on. They need to be listening and get, and get in his head because they can and go, hey, dude, that is Will Harris. That is not Will Smith. He's not getting jiggy with it. He is bringing a 1.50 ERA into this game. He's pretty good. Give him the respect. So that, that's that got to be better. Those are the little things that you can do better, even though you're missing some of that. But uh, there was a great article in the Houston Chronicle from a guy named Ken Hoffman, who I really appreciate. And he does a great job of explaining, you know, why the national broadcast is on there, where the money is spent. But Tuttle knows about this too because he brought it up to me during the NBA playoffs with the player, you know, the player analyst, the player show. He brought up a good point. Ken Hoffman did. There's so much money out there right now, and there's so many different alternative channels. How do we not just have an alternative channel? How about channel 247-1 is the Rays broadcast, and you can get your Dwayne Stats, Brian Anderson fix, or 247 point, you know, dash two get your your, your uh, Houston Astros, or there's an SAP button where you can get the Spanish broadcast. Why can't there be a, an Astro P, you know, whatever, and, and tune into that and get your Astro cast? I wish there was a way to fix that because I would imagine that MLB is getting a lot of complaints these days, realizing that when these teams go national, everything gets diluted and sanitized and watered down, and you're not getting the true broadcast that you really feel you should get after watching your home broadcast for 162 games. I'm going to let Tuttle get in here after I say thank you to the fans. We had a great year, and the fact that you're still tweeting at me lets us know that we're doing a very good job, and I appreciate you, but grind through these playoffs for me, please. 
Hey, and that's why we're doing the podcast as well. You get to hear Blummer's beautiful voice. I, I, I was on Sirius XM yesterday, and I, or, yeah, and I got to hear the Astros broadcast, the radio guys. So Sparks is still working. Mm -hmm. So you have that crew still working. And I think, again, it goes to, as you said, follow the dollar signs so or the dollar bills and and the tv rights are a lot different than radio but basically the the, the rays radio guys are still working just like the astros radio guys are still working there should be i mean if you're able to keep them in the booth and keep them online and get their fans because i'm sure they have um some fans as well that are just used to listening at work that aren't able to watch the games they get to hear sparks and uh wh who's the other guy sorry robert Robert Ford, but a great idea about the streaming too. I didn't even know that would be an option. Maybe there's a streaming, you know, a, you know, a microphone button on a website where you just say, click here if you want the Astros simulcast and stream it. That's a great idea. But Robert Ford is the play-by-play -play guy on radio. Yeah, so Ford and Sparks are still working and you and TK are at home with your feet up. I mean, it's nice to get a cold beverage every once in a while, but like you said, let's give the fans what they want. And, and as you said, the insight. So the one, I, I mean, AJ, he and I had our, our battles in AAA, so I have other things about him personally, but uh, he does a good job on the broadcast, and I agree with you. I, I would say that the, uh, the biggest challenge is having Girardi and AJ are both catchers. Oh, my gosh. If there weren't three innings where they're like, look at the way he blocks the ball. Yeah, you see the match. Watch him slide out. You're like, nobody cares that much about the craft of catching. I, I mean – I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, you have a national audience and they're talking about, yeah, look, watch his right knee goes down and then see, I always block better to my right because I was right-handed, you know? And anyway, it's just like, really? Like, so so the nuance is great. That's the stuff that people want to hear about pitching, hitting, catching. But when you have two innings of two catchers, you know, Girardi will say, oh, look, that ball, you know, see how he doesn't get his glove down. What do you think, AJ? And then AJ goes back and you're like, you know, I, I wonder if the play by play guy's going, all right, we gotta we gotta move on here. Because that that I caught I, I caught my ear caught the fact that we were really talking about the nuances of catching. And that, that happened for like two batters and you're like, Really? That I, that's just that's tough to listen to. I agree. And to the point too where I would even I would applaud the fact if it was a national broadcast and they, they spent the time or spent the money, you probably wouldn't even have to spend that much money to because I I literally would do it just to do it, just to have my voice on a playoff call. That would be fantastic. And, you know, I know Todd would have the same, the same idea, and I'm sure every local guy would love to have the opportunity to call some of these playoff games because they're so meaningful. And they mean, as much as they mean to the fan, they mean that to us too. And that's where I think the national broadcast kind of gets scared off because they know how invested we are as, as regional broadcasters. But at the same time, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to have – have Todd Callis on the Astros side down by the dugout and then on the Tampa Bay side maybe have Brian Anderson their color analyst on the Tampa Bay side and you can talk about how Charlie Morton has adapted to becoming a Ray and then Todd Callis can talk about how much he meant to the Astros clubhouse and how these guys are reacting and competing against each other those are the interesting stories that I really think that get missed out during the course of a playoff game because yes these games are still three and a half four hours long and you can only talk about blocking a pitch so often and you need to bring in some of the the personality and some of the idea of of who these guys are and how they got to this game you know 170 that they're deep into these playoffs with that's where i think that you know things start to gel and really come together and get that intimate knowledge that could really you know and if you're a national fan, if you're a, if you're an Atlanta, because I'll watch the Braves, Do Braves, uh, Cardinals, the Nationals, and Dodgers, 
if I hear some of those stories, I would be intrigued. I didn't know there's things I wouldn't have known about, uh, you know, Baez for the Dodgers or, you know, maybe a Trey Turner for the Nationals. That would in, I would be intrigued by that. So I think they're missing an opportunity, but there's always time to adjust. We know that for sure. Well, you're getting creative. I mean, look at the Super Bowl, right? The pomp and circumstance around the Super Bowl. You're talking about having TK and Brian Anderson and some guys that worked together in the past and, you know, obviously Charlie Morton playing for different teams. That's like, I mean, that's detailed and that's great for a World Series to have something like that. But I think we're talking, I, the way I took the conversation is more simple in that, you know, these are outlets. These are, these are avenues of revenue for, for companies. Why not kind of give the people what they want? Do they think it's going to dilute? Uh, I can't, I know there's been plenty of articles about this. I can't even find half the games, right? Because it's on True TV and TBS and then, oh, that one's on Fox and that one's on the MLB network. At this stage, it's really hard to even find the games. So if I know that, you know, TK and Blummer or, you know, Brian Anderson and the Rays guy are going to be on this channel, it's just easy to kind of go to your outlet. I almost feel like you're missing an opportunity at revenue in some form of fashion as well. So I, I, you know, there's so many different ways to look at this. You, you're getting like, you know, you're thinking creatively and in a, in a way to kind of enhance the platform. I think at this stage in the division series, it could just even be simpler than just, you know, keeping you guys on and having you guys do the game and, and letting the audience kind of still feel comfortable and still feel normal about, you know, their Astros playing, playing another baseball game. Yeah, the revenue is definitely there. And I'm not sure if you knew this, but in the NBA, the regional sports actually covers the first round of the NBA playoffs. And I think that would be a great idea for the teams or for the Major League Baseball to adopt because it would in really give another opportunity for those watching the games really in a condensed form. Because once you get to the playoffs, it's different in the NBA. But in in uh, baseball, you're, you're down to eight teams when you really start to, to play that first round. So you would only have eight broadcasts on. So it would really give a lot of people around the country to maybe say, oh, well, I'm going to tune in and see what the Astros broadcast sounds like. Well, uh, that was okay for me. I'm going to go over and watch the Rays broadcast for a little bit. So you could kind of have, like you said, have the choice, which would be amazing for fans across the country to be able to get involved in it. If you can't stand either of them, then you've got the national broadcast. But I think it would be great to be able to have that opportunity to do that first round of the playoffs. And one last thing on this, I believe college football does it. I know it; do, they do it on the uh, the XM dial. But like for the Rose Bowl, don't the Rose Bowl? The Rose You're Bowl, right? Has, yeah, the Rose Bowl has like let's say it's Wisconsin and Oregon. They have the Wisconsin guys doing it. They have the Oregon guys doing it, and then they have the national broadcast, right? And so you, you as a fan, I mean, it's just another option. And, and I, I don't think it could cost them that much money to kind of put that out there, right? So I think that's a that's a revenue stream. And I love the fact that Tuttle's on here because he's got more of that business sense. I'm trying to be a little more creative to find myself work, but he's actually got the idea of, you know, it could be monetized. You can monetize that. Even if it's local revenue asking for ad space, you'd be able to fill commercial time. And there's plenty of advertisers around the country that would say, yeah, I'd buy time on that. And I think to your point also, I think it was the NCAA tournament, March Madness, that actually had like a home channel where if you were a Tar Heel fan, you got nothing but Tar Heels. Everything, the Tar Heel history in the tournament, every player story was out there and you had your own broadcasters and they did that. I'm not sure how successful it was, but they were able to monetize that. And on a business side, hey, more money is good for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, that was excellent. 
Yeah, so that's Blum and Blummer. I hope I handled that tactfully. You know, I appreciate what the guys do nationally, but uh, there, there, there has to be ways to accommodate everybody, especially with the the vehicles that are out there, whether it be pod, you know, live podcast, uh, uh, streaming live audio. There's got to be opportunities out there. Hopefully, they figure that out in the future moving forward but that's going to do it for us and this podcast we have got to get this thing downloaded and uploaded so we can get it out to the blum family that is out there in the bleachers with us you all have been great appreciate you sticking with us continue to rate subscribe and review tell your friends about us and continue to listen in but it's that portion of the podcast where we are eternally grateful for the first responders who go out there and put themselves in harm's way, keep us safe, bring us back to life, or just protect us from any kind of danger. And always, and mostly the military who are abroad and at home who protect us and maintain our freedom right here at home. Tuttle, you got anything to finish this thing off? No, I concur with that. Thank you very much to uh, military and first responders. You mean a lot to us. We're not just saying that. And uh, as I always say, even with the funny money, uh, get out there, enjoy your life, and uh, don't bet on it. And that's going to do it. We're going to try and get another podcast out to you by the end of the week, so stay tuned. That way you can really know when those podcasts are coming out is to subscribe and download it. But until next time, just like the Astros are going to do tonight, get after it. Most of all, believe it. Like I'm new again